Good morning, everybody. We will go ahead and get started. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have uh, Miss Laura is still passing out the prayer request list. We don't have anything new or any updates on here, but please continue to be faithful in praying for these throughout the week. Several, um, if you recall last week, several significant health prayer requests that came through. So uh, please be uh, faithful in praying for those throughout the week. Uh, let's go ahead and open up with a uh, word of prayer this morning. And we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for this time we can come together. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we open your word this morning, that it would speak to hearts, that, uh, Lord, that it would uh, have its perfect work in our lives, that we would be changed and more like Christ because of it. We do pray for the service to come, that you would uh, be with our pastor, use him in a great way this morning. In Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we began earlier this year in January, we're looking at studying the life of Christ. And um, the first several weeks was more just a high-level overview about uh, the times uh, that Jesus lived, as well as kind of what Jesus did. He was a teacher, and that's what he kind of spent the majority of his time doing. But then we looked at some of his activities. And last week, we began studying the life of Christ and looking at every day that we have recorded in Scripture uh, I've said this before, and I'll probably continue to say it. There's, there's some disagreement on exactly how many days of the life of Christ's earthly ministry are recorded in the Gospels, but it's somewhere between 52 to 58 uh, ballpark, and I just sometimes it's kind of unclear if it was another day or if it was the same day, and so there's some dispute around those types of things, but our hope and our plan here is as we go through the year is to look at each one of these days that Christ uh, that we have of Christ's earthly ministry recorded in the Gospels. And we spent last week, if you recall, looking at the baptism of Jesus Christ, whenever he submitted to baptism through John the Baptist. And uh, we spent some time speaking about that last week. And that was kind of day one that we have as far as the beginning of his earthly ministry. That's where it began. Um, And the Bible, if you continue reading there in in Matthew, it says that from that day forward, he began to preach um, repentance uh, moving forward. Today, we're going to look at the second day that we have recorded, um, at least as well as we can tell in chronological order. And this is the temptation of Christ when he was out in the wilderness and been fasting for 40 days. And uh, so we'll begin reading this morning in Matthew chapter 4. As we did last week, we're going to look at this event that's recorded in more than one gospel. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we're going to look at all three of those portions of Scripture Read through them and then, uh, and then see what the Word of God has for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 4. Uh, well, actually, if you want to look, we can even begin the last verse of chapter 3, verse number 17. This is where we kind of finished up last week. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this was the kind of the conclusion of the baptism of Jesus Christ. Verse number 1 in chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, 
and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So this is the first place we see this recorded in Scripture. Let's turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 1. And we have this same event. It only consists of two verses here in Mark chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, you could read verse number 11. It's the conclusion of the baptism, verse number 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. And then finally, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 4, and you'll see the last place that this event is recorded, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command that this stone, that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou, uh, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus, said, answering, uh, and Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all temptation, all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Uh, now, just kind of a, just clarify, clarifying, this is not the only time that Jesus was tempted by Satan. The Bible says here that he, just, he departed for a season. Uh, he does come back and he tempts Jesus again. And, and many times you read through the Gospels, one is whenever Peter comes to Jesus. And Peter, Peter, Jesus is saying, I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over. And Peter says, you know, basically over my dead body. And what does Jesus say back to him? Get behind me, Satan. Satan was using Peter in that moment to tempt Jesus. Uh, uh, Satan used the crowds of people to tempt Jesus. Uh, even on the cross itself, there was a temptation to, if you're who you are, say you are, call angels from heaven to take you off the cross. So this was not the only time that Jesus was tempted by Satan, but this was uh, probably the most significant in the time that we see the most recorded in Scripture. Um, and before we uh, begin to really dive in, and we'll spend most of our time there in Matthew chapter 4, where we'll spend most of our time looking at this event, uh, there's a couple of things to kind of think about when it comes to the temptation of Christ. I think it's interesting if you go back to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, and as we looked at there in verse number, you know, the chapter preceding here and also in, a, in, a, in Luke as well, you find that Jesus was coming off of what was a, a high point spiritually in his life up to this point. Uh, he had just um, come to the Jordan River. He had just uh, been baptized by John the Baptist. And at that event, he has this significant spiritual high point in his life where uh, he is baptized. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descends down upon him like a dove. You hear a voice from heaven, God speaking, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was, was experiencing a spiritual high point in his life. And it's no coincidence 
that Satan immediately began to tack after that high spiritual point in his life. Can I say that's very true for you and I as well in our Christian life? That, and I'm not saying that we, should be, uh, we shouldn't want spiritual high points in our life. I'm not saying that we should be discouraged when those things happen. But uh, any, any country that has strong leadership would not let someone attack their border without fighting back. Now, our country didn't have strong leadership, so I'm not, I'm not putting the USA in that category. But think about Russia. Russia felt like their border was being attacked by Ukraine, and what did they do? They didn't sit on their hands. They attacked. Can I tell you, Satan is going to attack if he feels like he's giving up ground in your life. If he feels like you're growing closer to God, if you're becoming more like Christ, Satan is not happy about that, and he will begin to attack. And so when we have those spiritual high points in our life, uh, and as a church, that happens as well. You know, churches can have revivals. Church, we have our missions jubilee. These are high points in a, in a church's life. And can I tell you, Satan is going to be active after those moments. He's going to be attacking, and that's exactly what happened here. There was spiritual warfare going on. Not only do we see that this temptation came directly after a spiritual high point, but you also find that Satan is, is he's no dummy. He, he, uh, he really put the pressure on Jesus when he thought Jesus was most weak or most likely to give in to temptation. Jesus was coming off of 40 days of fasting, 40 days of being out in the wilderness. And certainly there was probably some weariness going on in his life. Certainly the Bible even says he was hungry. He had physical hunger there. And what was the first temptation? Satan comes to him and he says, hey, you know, uh, why don't you turn these stones into bread? If you're so hungry, why don't you do that? And so Satan comes to attack Jesus when he feels like Jesus might be most susceptible to temptation. Once again, there's an important lesson for us as Christians that we need to be careful whenever we get weary. Listen, if you're going to, if you are, if you, uh, well, I'm, I, I'm going to tell you in my experience as a Christian, if you're really trying to be the Christian God wants you to be and you're trying to live the way that God wants you to live, it's going to require some work and some effort and you're going to get tired from time to time. You're going to be weary from time to time. Uh, there's, there's times where as, as if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm going to be the husband I'm supposed to be and the father I'm supposed to be, I need to go out and I need to work and take care of my family. That's going to require effort and it's going to require labor. And as a result, I'm going to get tired. I'm going to get weary. And we have to be careful in those moments when we're physically weary and weak uh, not to give in to temptation. We should be more alert in those moments. Now, listen, being tired is no excuse to commit sin. Being weary and worn down is no excuse to commit sin. But we should, be, we should be aware that in those moments we're more susceptible to it. And so we should, uh, we should try our best not to put ourselves in those situations. It's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to take care of your, your physical body. It's okay to take days of rest. I mean, we're commanded once a week to keep one day of rest. Right? That's okay. That's, 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 that's all right. And we should prevent those moments but whenever we do have those moments where perhaps we are more weary or we're more tired we should be aware that we're going to be more likely to be tempted by sin in those moments be careful and and satan also be you know he, he listen he has all eternity to attack the lost Satan has all eternity to attack all the, all the lost people that have rejected Christ he only has a short time to attack you He's got a few decades, and he's not going to waste it. And so there's a moment we have, to be, we have to be aware of that, that Satan's going to be trying to tempt us and come after us and trying to destroy us because he hates God. And because God loves us, he wants to hurt us. And so Satan is going to take those moments when he feels like he has an opportunity. And he has an opportunity now. 
while you're on this life in, in, this, in this world, he's going to be attacking you. But what I find really interesting about this story is in, in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse number 1, it says, Then when Jesus was led up of the Spirit, I'm sorry, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's an interesting, that's an interesting scripture. I can't just read that and just go by. I have to st- think about that for a moment. It was the Holy, this is a capital S, right? In your Bible, is that a capital S in that verse number one? The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah, <laughs> the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That's what the Bible said. This was divinely ordained by God that it should be done this way. That temptation was part of God's plan here. In your Christian life, you're going to face temptation, and it's not an accident. You're going to have times in your life where you will be faced by temptation as a Christian, and it's not because God's forgotten about you. It might be part of God's plan for you. It was part of God's plan for Jesus to be led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now, if you study your Bible, if you know your Bible, you should have a lot of, a lot of sirens going off. You should have a lot of red flags going off whenever you read that scripture. Whenever, uh, if you look in the book of James, well, let's turn over there. Let's look over in James chapter 1. James, James chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> It said, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now listen to this, verse number 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So hold on, was Jesus God? A hundred percent. Can God be tempted? What did the Bible just say? God cannot be tempted. So how do we square that? How can we have a passage of scripture that says God cannot be tempted and that Jesus is God and yet Jesus endured temptation? How can we square that? Well, a couple of things you have to consider. First of all, our English language does have some limitations um, they're, they're, we use some words interchangeably that, that mean different things. If you know the English language, you're, you're well aware of that. Right? I feel sorry for people trying to learn English. Because you think of all the ways we use the same word. you know. Um, and, and, and as they're called homophones, they sound the same, but they mean different things. And here we find one of those situations where, well, well, well let's look at Matthew. Let's see what Jesus says. What does Jesus say in verse number 7? He's responding to the devil. Jesus saith unto him, it is written, again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Hold on. He, uh, James said God cannot be tempted, but Jesus just said, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Once again, how do you square those things? Well, it's because we're talking about different meanings of different words. There's, uh, it, it, where, we, where we read in James when it said, blessed is a man that endureth temptation, that word there, temptation, does not mean like temp- tempted to commit a sin. It's talking about being tested being tried, being purified, being refined through God. That's what it's talking about. When it talks about don't tempt the Lord thy God, it's, well, what, well if, you look, if you look at it closely, what does the, the, book, the Bible say in the book of James? God cannot be tempted 
by evil. That's important. Don't leave out those two words. God cannot be tempted by evil. But what is, what is Jesus saying when he says, don't tempt the Lord your God? Uh, don't put yourself in a situation where God has to manufacture a miracle to save you. Amen. Right? Now, that's different. That's not the same kind of temptation. Those are different meanings, but it's the same word. So you have to, you have to consider that. Now, that's not the, the whole of the story here. There's some other things we should consider beyond just the different uses of the same words and the limitations of English compared to Greek and Hebrew. In Greek, there's, like, there's four different ways you can express love. There's four different words that can be used, to, and we use the same word love for all four of those different meanings, which there again, you have some limitations when it comes to the English language. But also, as we, as we mentioned, there's some qualifiers there. What did it say? God cannot be tempted with evil, right? God can't be tempted to commit sin. It's not within his nature. It's a, he is, there's a spiritual term. It means impeccable, not able to be tempted. God in his nature and his very being is impeccable. You and I are peckable. <laughs> we could be tempted, but God in his very nature. And there's even some things you're impeccable about, if you think about it. There's some sins that have no appeal to you, right? If, if, somebody, if somebody came to, hopefully this is your, hopefully you feel the same way. If somebody came to you and said, hey, they're going to have a, uh, this is terrible, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say it because this is what we deal with in America today. Uh, they're, hey, they're having a, uh, uh, a, a drag show story hour at the local library, do you want to come with me? That is a sin to attend those things, by the way. Yeah, by the, way amen. the Bible says that we should not take pleasure, we should not commit sin, and we should not even take pleasure in those that do commit sin. That's what the Bible says. And if you're going to sponsor, or you're going to go endorse some kind of drag show story out at your local library, that's a sin. Now, if you came to me and said, hey, do you want to come to that with me? Unless it was like, are we going to burn the library down? Is that where we're going? Other than that, I'm not going. I have no desire. That, that sin will not tempt me at all. On the other hand, there are some sins that do tempt me. There's people that will not go to church tonight because they're tempted to stay home and watch a football game. There are some people that's a very strong temptation, and some of you guys could care less about football. It's not going to be a di difficult choice for you tonight, right? God is impeccable. There is no sin that, is, that he desires or appeals to him. He doesn't desire that. So when the Bible says, God can't be tempted. It doesn't mean you can't put a temptation in front of him. It means he has no desire to, to engage in it. He's impeccable. But also, let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, because I think this is important for us to consider when it comes to the, certainly Jesus was fully God. He never ceased being God. I want to be very clear about that. But the Bible says he was also fully man. Look at the Bible in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus is the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we find here that Jesus was fully God, but Jesus also had a fully human experience. And there was temptation. Now, once again, Jesus was fully God. He was impeccable. And these temptations that Satan was presenting to him had no attraction to him at all. He was not 
desirous of anything that Satan was offering that day. It was all sin, it was all evil, and God is impeccable and he cannot be tempted by those things. So why was Jesus in this situation then? What was the point of this exercise? Why was he being tempted? Well, I think the Bible gives us two reasons why. First of all, what you find is where Adam failed that temptation you read about in Genesis chapter 3, the exact same serpent came in chapter 3 of Genesis that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, and where Adam failed, Jesus conquered. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam, as the Bible refers to Jesus, conquered. He got victory over Satan and temptation. And as we discussed last week, if you recall, we spoke about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ upon our account, that we are saved by his very life, by his actions and his deeds that are now upon our account, on my account in heaven, when God looks at me according to my, standard, my standing before God, I overcame temptation because Jesus did, and I'm saved by his life. But I think also another reason why he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted was to expose the tactics of Satan and show us how to overcome temptation as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, for a little bit, and I would also say this, you know, there's some discussion around, well, Jesus was fully human, and so, you know, could, could, he, have, could he have really had the full experience of mankind if he wasn't tempted by sin the way that we are? And there's even like, a, you've probably heard this before, to err is human, but to forgive is divine, right? You've heard that saying before, and that sounds great, but that's not in the Bible. You do not have to be a sinner to experience humanity. And there's some great examples in the Bible that tell us that. Whenever God created Adam and Eve, were they created with sin or without sin? Yeah, there was no sin nature. They were made in the image of God. And and the Bible says that he breathed in Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. And Adam was fully human. He was a fully human being, a part of mankind, but he had no sin. What I'm saying is you you don't have to be a sinner to be a human. That's an extra. That's something that got thrown on top of humanity. And and you better hope that's true because in eternity, you're not going to cease to be human, but you better hope you better cease to be a sinner. You can be fully human and not engage in sin. So what I'm saying is Jesus was fully human, but it didn't require him to become a sinner to be a human. And so what we find here in this story is uh, the temptation of Jesus Christ. And uh, what I would like to look at here just briefly this morning is to look at the tactics that Satan used in this temptation and how Jesus was able to overcome these temptations and get the victory. So uh, what we find here is the way that Jesus was tempted or how was Jesus tempted. The first one that we find here in uh, Matthew chapter 4 is he's tempted in verse number 3, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, uh, if you, uh, turn, well, let's, let's look at this. I apologize for jumping around a little bit, but First John chapter 2 uh, gives us kind of an outline about uh, basically all the temptations you're going to face in this life, uh, in the world. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15 John, the apostle here, kind of sums up everything that's going on inside the world, right? Love not the world, verse number 15. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world, this is it, we're summing it all up, all the temptations you and I are going to face in this life, in this experience, let's, what, are, what are they? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the first temptation that Satan comes to Jesus with is he, he tempts him with the lust of the flesh. He was hungry. And he, hey, he, uh, well, this, this is the way that Satan comes to, well, this is the way that Satan comes to Jesus, the way he comes to us as well. I've, 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 I've had these same thoughts in my head. Why isn't God taking care of me the way that I feel like I should be taken care of? I mean, I've been out here fasting for 40 days, trying to serve. And then Satan comes along and says, you know, if God really loved you, he'd give you food. But God doesn't love you, so make, make your own food. This is the temptation. This is the way Satan comes to us. If God really cared, he wouldn't let this happen. If God really cared, he'd be concerned about my enjoyment, about how I feel and how happy I am. This is the deception of Satan when he comes to us and tempts us with these lusts of the flesh. Satan's tactics are to tell you that God's not taking care of you. When I, and I, I confess, I've, in my own heart, in times in my life, I can say, to my shame, I've said, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to think. That's how he deceives us. He gets us into thinking that God's not going to take care of us. I have physical needs, God. Don't you know that? Don't you know that I have these things I have to have? If you want me to be happy, God, don't you care about that? Won't you take care of me? And these lusts of the flesh, these are the pleasures of this world. That's what the lust of the flesh is. The pleasures of this world. The, the attractions, the entertainments, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the substances, the relationships. And these are lusts of the flesh. They are things that make us happy, that make us feel good. And Satan comes to Jesus and he says, you know, you can fix this situation yourself with your own power. You can figure it out. You can take matters into your own hands. And boy, how many of us could sit here and testify the worst thing we ever did was take matter into our own hands, try and fix it ourselves. We would not trust God. But we had this dilemma. God, don't you care about me? Aren't you going to take care of me? Don't you see the condition I'm in? And God, if you won't do something, I will. And this is the, this is the deception that Satan uses towards us. God, if you won't make me happy, I'll find happiness somewhere else. And what has that led to? Heartache after heartache after heartache of people that were just trying to be happy at any cost, but they wouldn't trust God for that. Because God offers something better than happiness. He offers us joy, peace, contentment. We find ourselves looking at the circumstances we're in. And saying, God, I wouldn't have done it this way. And we, we give in to these temptations. We use circumstances as a justification. Well, no one would blame me if they kind of knew the circumstances I was in. But Jesus replies back to Satan and he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I think it's interesting here, once again, to fully, fully expand upon this thought that Jesus was fully man. When he responded to Satan, what did he say? It is written, God should not live. No, no, no. It is written, man should not live by bread alone. He was responding from the point of view of a human. 
That we should not put our hopes upon this world to give us peace or joy or happiness or an expected end. We should put our confidence in God and trust Him. And that we should not live by the pleasures of this life alone. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the pleasure of this world. God made them for our pleasure. But it's in His timing, in His way, according to His commandments. And whenever we do that, we can trust God. And we won't have this this tactic of Satan getting us to put our hopes in the pleasures or entertainment of this world. What's the second temptation he comes to him with? Uh, He comes back to him in in verse number five. Then the devil, uh, in chapter four of Matthew, then the devil taketh him up to the holy city and sitteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, Cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus saith unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the second temptation he comes to Jesus with is, uh, well, the way that John in, in 1 John describes it is the lust of the eyes. But what Jesus was being tempted with was uh, personal preservation. To care, more for, to care more dearly for this life than the life to come. What is faith? Faith is believing without seeing. And what Satan wants you to do is have the lust of the eyes. Only trust what you can see. Now listen, there's, the reason why you're here today probably more than likely is because you have some level of personal preservation in your own life as well. That's completely natural. Nobody should put themselves in a situation where they could die. Right? Every single one of you probably very carefully this morning made sure you drove on the right side of the road, didn't you? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, certainly a, it's certainly a law, right? But there's a, there's a more important reason why you did that. Because you wanted to make it safely to your destination. You had some personal preservation. Uh, there's a funny, uh, a, a way, there's a very well-known football player named Deion Sanders. Uh, he w- you got to give the guy credit. He was a tremendous football player. As far as a human being, there could be some debate. But as far as a football player... Not many better than him. But he had one flaw. He wasn't much of a tackler. He was a defensive back, so he kind of played more on the edges. He wasn't down there with all the big 300-pound guys. And whenever he would see one of those 300-pound guys running at him, many times he would make a business decision is what he would call it. He'd make a business. He would be preserving his own health and well-being and get out of the way and let that guy get by him. And I'll get you in the next play. Right? It's completely normal for a human being to want to make sure you stay alive. Matter of fact, it's... It's so normal that when someone takes their life, it causes shock, doesn't it? Why would somebody do that? We all have that natural instinct. And I, would, and I, I mean, I, you, you, can, you can study this yourself. I've read many, many stories of these people, especially about the, um, people who jump off bridges and stuff, and sometimes they'll survive. And time after time, you've heard these stories of people that they were, felt like they were wits in and they would jump over. And as soon as they jumped over, they realized, oh, what a terrible mistake I've made. Story after story. Why? Because naturally you want to preserve your life. But can I tell you, you can take that to a point it becomes sinful when all we trust is what we can see. The lust of the eyes. I care more about this life and what it can do for me than the life to come. That's what Satan was tempting Jesus with. Value this life more than eternity. Value you not falling more than obeying God. And Satan comes to us and he tries to tempt us to value the temporal over the eternal. And that the world 
has more to offer us than God. That's Satan's device. That's his tactic. He wants us to live according to what we can see, the lust of the eyes. This is all that matters. Right here, right now. And the third temptation that we find here, in verse number 8 again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, this is spiritual warfare going on. I, I, don't, I can't explain to you exactly what happened here. I don't know. But this is spiritual warfare that's going on. The kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, get thee, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. This third temptation is now the pride of life. So you have the lust of the flesh, the pleasures of this world, the lust of the eyes, valuing the temporal more than the eternal, and then finally the pride of life. Power, authority, prestige. I want to be in charge. I want people to, I want people to know who I am. And boy, you can see this playing out every day in the world around you. There's people that will donate millions of dollars to get their name on a building. Yeah. Why? The pride of life. I want to have a legacy. I want somebody to know who I was. And you go to cemeteries and you'll see these ornate monuments. You know, you ever go to these old cemeteries and they'll have these, why are people building these giant memorials? They want to be remembered. Pride of life. Here's the truth. About a hundred years, nobody's coming to your grave. You're lucky if it's even that long. When's the last time you went to your great-grandparents' grave? You don't even know where it's at, probably. That's, that's going to happen to you, too. But Satan wants to deceive us. The pride of life. What even happens in churches? People are like, oh, I donated for this pew, with my name on it. You got your reward. You got your reward. Pride of life. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. I've heard it said, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's, it's almost like a progression through your life. But most young people are preoccupied with pleasures, aren't they? You know, who are the people that you hear about time and time again, overdosing on drugs, getting drunk and going on a DUI? It's usually younger people most of the time. Now, it can happen to old people too, don't misunderstand me. But by and large, the majority of people that are seeking pleasure are younger in life. What about middle-aged? What are you doing in your middle-aged life? You're, well, you're trying to start a career. You're trying to earn a living. You're trying to make your mark. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. You're just trying to keep up with what you can see around you. And then as you get closer to the end of your life, you start thinking about, man, what have I done with my life? Is anybody going to remember me? i got to do something while I have a legacy. And you start getting into these temptations of the pride of life. Now, as I said, that can, that can fluctuate greatly. You can find... Old people preoccupied with sins of pleasure. You can find young people preoccupied with sins of the pride of life. But these are all temptations we must all battle with at some point in time in our life. I do think it's interesting what was the response of Jesus. Satan's temptation was bad on and worship me. Just bad on one time. Bad on one time and I'll give you everything. And what was Jesus' response in verse number 10? Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. But he didn't stop there. What did he go on to say? And him only shall thou serve. Well, there's a powerful lesson in Jesus' response there. Because what you worship, you will serve. What you worship, you will serve. It's actually a good indicator of where your life's at spiritually. 
What do you serve the most? And that will determine what you truly worship. I'm coming to church and I'm going to sing hymns. I'm going to worship God. But what do you spend most of your time serving? That's what you really worship. And Jesus knew that. He knew you don't just worship and not serve. If you truly worship something, you will serve it. So how was Jesus tempted? He was tempted through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And how did Jesus defeat these temptations? What you find time and time again, the response that Jesus gave back to Satan was this. It is written. It is written. It is written. Our key to victory over temptation is knowing the truth of God's word. If you really know the truth of God's word, you really know and you really believe it, I will not be tempted to commit adultery. Because I'll know the truth. And the truth is, adultery destroys. Adultery ruins. Adultery causes nothing but heartache. And if you're tempted by that, you don't know the truth of God's word. But if you know the truth, you will know it's blessed to spend your later days, what the Bible say, with the bride of your youth. Well, there's a blessing with that. The, the solution for us to overcome temptation is to know the truth of God's word. And for every temptation, there's a truth that sets us free, that makes us free. What does you see? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's how we overcome temptation. That's how we fight back spiritually, is by knowing the word of God. And, what I'm, and I, I'm sorry to say this to you, but just John 3, 16 is not going to cut it. You're going to have to know more of the Word of God. If you're going to have spiritual warfare, you're going to have to know more than Jesus loves me. You're going to have to know the truth of God's Word. We, just, we don't have much time left, but uh, let's turn over to James, because I think James also gives us, uh, it, it references fighting spiritual warfare and temptation with Satan in, J, in James chapter number 4. And, and we will just run through this quickly, because I know we're about out of time, but I, I feel like it's important for us to mention this today as we're talking about temptation in Jesus. James chapter 4, we'll look at verses 1 and uh, we'll read verse through verse number 10. Uh, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the Lord is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And he gives us some instruction. How do we fight back in spiritual warfare and temptation? What's the answer? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And that's what Jesus was doing. Whenever Satan came to him, he was resisting the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So what's the practical instruction we see from the Word of God here when it comes to fighting back against temptation? The first thing, if we're ever going to have victory over temptation knowing the word of God, knowing the truth of God, but now we have to apply it. You have to apply that knowledge you have in your heart. And how do we apply that? The first thing the Bible says is submit yourselves to God. If you're not submitted to God, you will not get victory over temptation. You will not have peace. 
You will not have joy. You will be a miserable Christian if you're not submitted to God in every way. And what is submit? It means yield. It means, God, you're in charge. God, you make the rules and I follow them. That's what being submissive to God means. You're yielding to God. God, you're in control, not me. And you're going to, and the truth is we all yield to something no matter what. You, you're yielding to something. Why not, why not God? He's the best option out there. You can certainly yield to the world. The Bible says be not conformed to this world. That's what it means. You're being conformed to the image of this world. And the Bible says be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Bible says you shouldn't be yielding to yourself. Lean not into your own understanding. You know how dumb we are? We're all pretty dumb. I don't care how high your IQ is. You're all pretty dumb. And you're going to trust your own judgment more than God? You're going to yield to something. Why not God? Let's look at the marks of an unsubmitted person. Look at verse number one. He talks about wars and fighting and lusting and killing and desiring and adultery. If these are things that could be describing your own life, you are not submitted to God. You are unyielded. You're fighting. You're bickering. You, you know, we all, it says you, you ask and you receive not because you ask. And this, the, the, you know, we all, want, we, all want the, uh, we all want the end results. We just don't like the recipe. Right? <laughs> We all like the finished meal. We just don't like all the ingredients that go along with it. And God says, if you're going to get victory, you have to submit yourself to me. You have to follow my recipe if you want the cookies. But if you don't follow the recipe, you're not getting the cookies. I'm hungry. Unsubmitted person is self-willed and selfish. Unyielded to God. We have to start with submitting ourselves to God. Then the Bible says, resist the devil. Don't give place to him. Don't give him opportunity. That means sometimes you have to avoid going to certain places or talking to certain people or thinking about certain things. Don't let certain things into your heart and your mind. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of come the issues of life. Resist the devil. Don't give place to him. Draw nigh to God. And he'll draw nigh to you. Which way are you walking? Are you walking towards God or away from God? Well, how do I know that? Well, uh, how much time do you spend in his word? How much time do you spend praying? How much time do you spend seeking his wisdom and his guidance in your life? How much time do you spend obeying his commandments? That's drawing nigh to God. And if you'll do that, the Bible says he'll draw nigh to you. And the Bible says cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. It's going to take some effort. It's not, you, don't, you don't get it by osmosis. You don't get it by just holding the Bible up to your head and, okay, now I guess I'm going to get victory over temptation. No, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes saying no to yourself sometimes. It makes saying no to other people sometimes. You have to cleanse your hands. There's, part, there's something you have to do. You can't be passive. You have to be active. If you're going to get victory over temptation, you have to be a part of the solution. But cleanse your hands. That means cease from evil activities. What do you do with your hands? Cease from doing those things. But then he goes on to say, purify your hearts. What are your motives? What are your motives? What's motivating you? What's driving you? You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Purify your hearts. Examine your motivations. And then the Bible says, be afflicted, mourn, and weep. You know, sometimes we just need to think about the consequences of our sin. Think about the end result. Boy, you can't play chess one move at a time. You'll lose 
If you're going to play chess, you've got to be thinking four and five moves ahead. Well, if I do this, he's going to do that, right? A lot of times we just get in a, we just get in a, 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 a mentality of just do the next thing in front of me. We don't think about the consequences down the road, about how it's going to hurt you, committing that sin. The impact it's going to have to your own heart and your own soul. The impact it's going to have to people that you love, others around you. The impact it has on Jesus and God. We need to spend some time thinking about that. It should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to weep when we think about what we've done and the consequences of those things. And then he says, humble yourselves in verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What does that mean, humble yourselves? Humble is you put yourself second or third or fourth, but somebody else gets first place. That's, that's humility. Humility is other people can have their way. Humble yourselves. It's not about you. But we get so mad when somebody's taking too long in front of us at the grocery store or their cart's blocking the aisle or somebody did something stupid in traffic. We think the whole world revolves around us sometimes. Humility is, well, we're all just people trying to get through the day. They're having a rough day. And it's hard to do that in the moment. I'm I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. But we need to humble ourselves. And then let me just say this uh, very quickly. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with this scripture, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. A very uh, well-known portion of scripture talking about temptation because this we may think like well this is just an unwinnable battle this is just there's no way i can fight all the temptations of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and it's too much but the bible says here in first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 there hath no temptation taken you but such is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The promise we have from God is there is a limit to temptation. There is a limit. God says, I will not tempt you over what you're able to overcome yourself. There's a limit to it. And God calls us to obey because he obeyed. Well, that's the best leader you can ever ask for. It's very frustrating to work for somebody that doesn't doesn't practice what they preach. That's a frustrating thing. But Jesus says, you need to obey because I obeyed. Here's my example. And so we see on this second day of the public ministry of Jesus Christ, this this, uh, great example for us as Christians to to understand the tactics of Satan, but also a way to overcome them. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for this this passage of scripture that contains uh, so much truth to help us practically in our day-to-day lives. I pray that you would help us to be Christians that uh, would consider the consequences of our actions, Lord, to not be uh, foolish when it comes to temptation and sin, and Lord, that we would stay close to you, that we would draw nigh to you. We do pray for the service to come, that you would our pastor, you'd be with us as we prepare our hearts even now to have a desire and hunger for your word and to worship you with a clean heart. In Christ, we pray. Amen.